Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Robin Lale, who is the founder and president of Lale Vineyards in the Napa Valley. Robin, so much fun to be with you today. Michelle, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm so glad. Oh, actually, you are with me. I am with you <laughs> That's at <right>. your house. <laughs> That's right. Perched on Howl Mountain. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's, it is really a delight. So your family is rich in history here in the Napa Valley. I am so excited to share your story with our listeners. Before we kind of dive into everything Robin Lale, can you tell me about a fun family memory that you have growing up here? Well, that's very easy. Um, just to pick one is very difficult. But one thing that was fun, I grew up at Inglenook, um, which was founded by my great-granduncle Gustav Niebaum in 1879. And my father was the third generation owner and manager of the property. And um, so very disturbingly, I was forced to walk home from school, <laughs> I, which I thought was really not very nice. But um, that was a mile, and um, just there was always for me this wonderful stopping place, which was Inglenook Winery. And so there's a beautiful tasting room on the right-hand side as you go in the entrance, which was um, something that was imported from Germany, this beautiful oak room. And so I would go in, I used to go in the oak room and have a glass, um, a wine glass full of cold water and then I would go around and about and see and pester I'm sure <laughs> all the people in the office and then upstairs to um, where they were making the wine and and chat with people up there so it was a part of my of my growing up routine basically and a very wonderful one at that well, it's a such a beautiful building and property. What a great environment to grow up in. Fast forward, I'm curious about your first full-time job. What was it? My first full-time job was um, as a trainee initially um, at the Bank of America. And the bank at that time was the largest bank in the world. And I was hired to be the first woman um, to go through the international managerial training program there. And while that sounds just great, this was in 1962. And so the training officer, when I started my job, said, now, Robin, I want you to know that when you finish this, this training, you will not go overseas like all the men do because there's no place in women for... In, in no place for women in international banking. And you will not be an officer of the bank because there's yada, da, yada, da, yada. And frankly, Robin, we have no idea what we'll do with you because there's no place for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, um, but here's the deal, Robin, if you screw up, we'll never put another woman on this, in this program again. Oh my gosh, what pressure. <laughs> A little bit of pressure, yeah. Yeah. So what happened? How did your career advance? 
so uh, so um, it advanced nicely. Um, there's a lot of funny stories, but nonetheless, um, what I ended up doing was uh, running the international and national business development research department. And I did that for a period of three years and had 20 college grads working for me, all of whom were making more money than I was. Oh, oh it was so crazy. Banking, crazy. <laughs> banking can be fun. <laughs> you headed up the international division. So you went overseas, right? I never did. No, you never did. But I was the youngest woman to ever get it, get an officer's rating in the bank. So well, so you're a trailblazer. I'm stubborn. <laughs> Dedicated. <laughs> Dedicated. Thanks. Dedicated. Stick with me. Follow me everywhere. <laughs> I think a lot of people would follow you anywhere because you are just one of those most charismatic individuals and so genuine and lovely. So who wouldn't want to follow you anywhere? Okay, so there's a room for you upstairs. I, I don't care if you didn't bring your suitcase, but you can stay here always. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank I'll you. take you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> um, you're too kind. You had this career in banking. Now you have a winery called Lale Vineyards. Was it inevitable that you would have a winery? You know, was it in your destiny? It's in my DNA. So when I was a girl, my dad, um, who was a Renaissance gentleman and a brilliant contributor to the wine business in California, not just Napa Valley, but he wasn't, for instance, the first man to ever put Napa Valley as an appellation on a bottle of wine. And Napa Valley became the first appellation um, in the United States in 1981. So interesting, but but my dad always used to say to me that he saw himself as the caretaker of this beautiful 1,800-acre property and this magnificent brand, and um, that all this would be mine and my sister's when I grew up. My mother was away at the time. She took a five-year sabbatical, remarried, um, did whatever, came back and um, decided that she would raise my sister and I in the Mormon church. The end of all this will be yours one day. So there was no wine possibility for me. I was not raised to go into the wine business. But I'll tell you what, you know, it's, um, I'm not impermeable and, and I grew up in this beautiful place with this right. wonderful man and with his contributions. And um, so Inglenook um, in 1964, my dad was 55 and he sold Inglenook. And Inglenook was the Lafitte of Napa Valley at the time. And so from that time on, honestly, Michelle, I wanted nothing to do with the wine business because how could I possibly, in one generation, recreate the property, the beautiful winery, the incredible brand, the, the prestige of the brand? Impossible. So I wanted nothing to do with the business. So international banking and then a few other things as well. And then my dad died in 1970, and so I came back to Napa. I was living in San Francisco. I came back to Napa Valley and started managing the vineyards um, that we had, and my mother saw about selling those very quickly. And then in 1977, Robert Mondavi came to see me. Now, my dad had been Bob Mondavi's mentor in the wine business, 
And Bob came and asked me to go to work as his executive assistant. I said, I can't do that. I'm the managing director of the Volunteer Center of Napa <laughs> County and went right to work for Bob Mondavi. <laughs> so five years there. Um, I'll fast forward now because I'm dragging along. Sorry. No, um, not at all. In, um, I had the opportunity to start the first auction in Napa Valley while I was there in 1981. And then... Um, in 1982, I co-founded um, Dominus with Christian Moex and my sister. And then uh, the following year, in 1983, co-founded Maryvale Vineyards with Bill Harlan and his partners and was president of that company for 10 years. So I have to ask, why wasn't Dominus enough? Well, because uh, <laughs> that's a, a wonderful brand. And you know... You know something, Michelle, in all the, all the interviews that I've done, and I, I've had the good fortune to do a lot, no one has ever asked that question. No one. Not ever. And it's a really, it's a Lollapalooza question, um, and it just was that um, I think from the outset, um, my partner, Christian, um, really was not used to working with or being associated with a woman who really wanted to be on the playing field. And I don't think he ever really understood that if, for instance, we were doing an interview or I was being interviewed by someone for whatever reason, um, that I would always be talking about him. You know, it just wasn't clear to him. And so um, there was not the opportunity for me to, I, I really wanted to be involved in the business. Right, you wanted to, it was All a partnership. That's right. Right. And so that just wasn't the way that partnership worked. And um, So it was my, time to move on. Well, no, no, I stayed in the partnership until 1995. Oh, excellent. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. So these two things were running um, in a dual position. Okay. It was pretty interesting. And also, my husband wanted to be um, in the wine business, and <clears throat> that wasn't possible for him at Dominus, so I had to start another winery. <laughs> and fortunately, um, my connection with uh, Bill Harlan worked well, and um, off we went. It went Dominus, Maryvale, mm -hmm. but then how did the fabulous Lale Vineyard start? So in... in 1995, I, we sold out of Dominus. Okay. Um, and uh, Maryvale soon after that. And it was just apparent to me all of a sudden that I might be frightened of trying to start over. And, 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 now, and now, by the way, I'm exactly the same age that my dad was when he sold out of Inglenook, so I'm 55 years old. And... Um, I realized that if I was going to do anything, I had to do it, right? And um, it wasn't optional. It just was not optional. And so we started Lale Vineyards in 1995 with very little money. It's a crazy way to go into the wine business or to try to go in the business. And, you know, <coughs> the Napa Valley vintners um, were expanding um, fast at that time. So... It was it was a crazy brave move. I'm so glad I did it. I'm so I'm glad. glad you did it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because it is just a just a wonderful brand, and you have Philippe as your winemaker, who's spectacular. And since since 1995, by the way, so we have been together 25 years, which is rather unusual. 
you know, he is theoretically a consulting. No, he's my winemaker. (laughs) So all those other people that he works with, he consults for. But um, I'm so... I'm so grateful for this friendship and relationship and the beautiful wines that he and his unbelievably great team are making for us. You created Lael Vineyards. It was in your DNA, you said. How did you pick Philippe? Well, I didn't, actually. Initially, I, I tried three winemakers for our first vintage. I couldn't make up my mind. <clears throat> Philippe was basically unknown at the time. He was um, CV's winemaker. And that was it. And he had done two stages at Dominus while I was still there. And his stages were to do vineyard maturity studies. And so that's why I got to know him. And then I worked with um, Heidi Barrett and then um, Tony Soder. And uh, by January of that... uh, the January following that first harvest, I selected Philippe. And I selected Philippe because because he was willing to make wine in the style that John and I hoped to have wine made. And so, and by the way, because remember what I just said about Dominus, um, because I really wanted to be involved. And I didn't want it to be I, I just wanted to be involved in the process, and and there was clearly room to do that, and has always been room to do that, and so it was a perfect, perfect match for me. So let's talk about the style of wine that people can experience when they open up a bottle of Lael Vineyards. The style of wine, it's interesting, you know, there's so many beautiful wines being made by my friends and colleagues here. And um, the style of wine that that we like to make at Lael Vineyards, Michelle is in the red wine category. Uh, for our flagship wines, wines that are approachable um, at a at a young age, but wines that will carry on for many many years to come. And unfortunately, you know, because I'm a woman of a certain age, I'm not going to be able to see how long those wines will go on. So I've asked a lot of people to send letters to wherever I might be at the time (laughs) (laughs) to let me know. So they're wines of elegance, um, of um, finesse and beautiful integration, and lingering finish. And in terms of the white wines, they are wines that are bright but bring um, a story, um, a story of the vineyards they came from, a story of the climate that they came from, and this beautiful um, discovery, sense of discovery. And they're wines that leave your mouth fresh and wanting more. So well said. (laughs) So you've got a cuvee cab named after your father. I do. Yeah. There's a couple of wines that are named have names that I don't know the origin so welly what is that so I am um I have the very um kind of habit let's call it nicely a habit of naming things so our vineyards are named this is this vineyard out here our vineyard is called mole hill and that's has a story behind it 
and that comes from my father's era. And then our Sauvignon Blanc vineyard in Yonville is called Totem. And that refers to back to Gustav Niebaum, who was Stephen de Young's good friend and also became treasurer of the de Young Museum when it opened. And he brought a museum opening present, uh, which happened to be a full-size totem that he had shipped down from the Yukon to the museum. So totem vineyard. And then um, when we made our first, well, of course, my flagship wine is named after my father. Right. Um, then um, the the blueprint wines. Right. So we have a, a sub it's a sub-label or a label rather of its own category called Blueprint. And those wines were originally called Blueprint to honor my husband, John, who is an architect. And I wanted to honor the amazing contributions that he's made to the Valley and also the West Coast in terms of uh, wineries that he's designed and caves that he's designed. And now it's become a blueprint for change, and we donate 10% of the online sales that we make in the blueprint category to an organization that is deep in the fight for climate change. And I am the United States representative for the Porto Protocol, which is um, also dedicated to climate change on a global basis. Wonderful. So then, then let's get back to what you asked me yes, for wandering Wally? around in the <laughs> woods. <laughs> Welly. So Welly is um, the last of our grandchildren. Oh, and, and Georgia is another grandchild. And Georgia was the first of okay. uh, the sixth generation of our winemaking family here in Napa Valley. And for Premier Napa Valley, which is this once-a-year auction that the vintners put on, and you must... Uh, present a wine that's not commercially available. Um, for eight years, those wines were all called Henry, who is our second um, grandchild. Henry the first, Henry the second. Now we've had Henry the eighth, so we have to move on for a new <laughs> a new name for Henry. And then Lael is the third grandchild. And um, he wins because it's Lael Vineyards. Yes. <laughs> How how unusual or and unique, one of a kind. How big is your family? Family's small. It's really small. Um, John has family in um, Colorado. Um, he has a sister and a nephew, uh, and two nieces, and um, and I have my sister and her husband and their two children and all their grandchildren, and then here directly, our direct family is our two fabulous daughters, Erin and Shannon, and the children that I was just speaking about. You have six grandchildren. No, we have six generations. Oh, six generations. I did throw that number out there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was like, six grandchildren? I was thinking Erin has three. Erin has two, and Shannon two. has two, a boy oh, and a girl okay. each, yes. Well, it's a nice size. It's a nice size family. Well, it, it's, you Perfect. know, I, I think it's absolutely fabulous. Yes. I do. Yes. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's just the right size. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com.
You love wine. And at Total Wine & More, you can count on getting the service you deserve. Their team of fun and friendly experts are extensively trained and even travel everywhere from California to Europe to meet the producers themselves. Stop by, check out over 8,000 bottles, and see why those who know wine always drink interesting at Total Wine & More. Well, let's shift into your personal life more. So you are perched up here on Hell Mountain. How did you and John pick Hell Mountain? That's fun. Actually, um, when I grew up, my mother, I think, was a little uppity by nature. And she used to look across the valley from Inglenook, <clears throat> garden spot to be sure, and say, never go there. There was Hell Mountain. Just never go there. She said, it's hot. It's just hot. <laughs> Sun, it just, look at it. It's just beating yes. on Hell Mountain. And there are a lot of snakes. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so John and I, um, when we started in, in the wine business, um, as I told you, we did not have a lot of money, but we really needed to have a place that had um, some memorable quality to it, if you will. We knew we wouldn't be able to build to buy a big vineyard. And um, we looked for five years, Michelle, for a property. And John is the guy who actually discovered this property. But I can tell you that when I drove over that little hump that's there when you come through the gate and into the vineyard, I knew it was home. And so this beautiful place um, is a place that is both tranquil and energizing and I I am a <laughs> I'm a doo-doo person uh, in every sense of the word <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so busy all the time and um, I just came across a, a quote from Socrates which was a little disturbing which said, beware the barrenness of a busy schedule. So just put that in your pipe and smoke it. Really? <laughs> well, it is a, it's perfectly placed. This house is perfectly placed. And the view is breathtaking. So let me just tell you, you know, um, we sit at a 1700 foot elevation on Hell Mountain and we're on the Western Slope. So we look across the valley at Diamond Mountain and we have this unusual vista across the hills um, all the way to the Mendocino coast. And my only lacking here is not being able to see Mount St. Helena, but I know it's there. Right. <laughs> and so we have this beautiful um, small vineyard, um, a small parcel of land, a kind of um, wonderful quasi farmhouse that overlooks this beautiful view which she's, is very she's, rural she's really downplaying it folks <laughs> yeah it is rural but it's it's just so secluded and just so so beautiful i mean you feel you feel like you've been transported somewhere else when you're here and you know what michelle i still feel that way I feel that way every time I get here. That's and, important. you know, if we go away and travel, and there's so many beautiful mm -hmm. spots in the world, but this is it for me. It's just right. it. It is it. So I'm guessing John created this it space. <laughs> so the house was here, mm -hmm. and it was um, kind of like a tipped-up shoebox. It had no deck on it whatsoever, and the, just one set of French doors in the front. 
And um, so uh, we we uh, threw everything we had at it, and uh, we're about a tenth of the way finished with with what we'd like to do. <laughs> right. Which is very good when you're married to an architect, because otherwise, you know, you'd be moving. Right. So it's great. He can he can keep envisioning more and more things to do. Oh yes, it's endless. That's <laughs> <laughs> so fun. I don't know what else needs to be done because it looks like every little inch has been perfectly planned. But let's talk about it. When when you walk inside this house, uh, d- let's describe it to our listeners. How how would you describe your home to people? I would describe my home as understated, um, but welcoming. And um, I think that the welcoming part is generated by um, the collection of um, other other people's furniture and artifacts. So we have a lot of lovely things that came from um, centuries ago that were collected by Gustav Niebaum and then things from... Gustav Niebaum himself, and then from my mother and father, and John's parents, and um, I, I just think that that's um, what's old to um, many people today, creates this sense of warmth and welcome, and um, it's simple, and it's not grand in any way. Um, but it works. It's just a nice space to be in, I think. People always seem to be comfortable here, which is, for me, absolutely it. It's important. Yeah. Favorite room in the house? Favorite room in the house? Oh, I have lots of favorite rooms. Let's Let's say the library, because we spend a great deal of time in there. It's a smaller room, and the shelves are, um, on both sides of the room are lined with books. And again, you know, they come from all over the place. And um, and they, you know, it's always fun to go to someone's house and look at their books because it's, they tell a story. So the story there is eclectic. You know, it's, I remember when I was working with Robert Mondavi, he used to, he used to, he was, by the way, my mentor and uh, still is in the business. And I'm sure he hired me to train me and get me back into the business for my dad. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. At any rate, he used to, he used to say, "Robin, you know, you just you've got to focus. You're all over the place like a flibberty gibbet. <laughs> focus. You have so many things on your mind." And I said, "Mr. Mondavi, Mr. Mondavi, you, my dear, are an apple." You were born, um, I'm sure you started thinking about wine 10 minutes after you were born. That is the focus of your life, and it always will be. Wine and art and food, so good for you, so wonderful, and you're so blessed. I, on the other hand, am a, am a fruit bowl. So that's, that's um, I am, and this house is a fruit bowl. <laughs> a fruit bowl. That's an interesting way to, to put it, isn't it? Yes, it is. When you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, once again, we're extremely eclectic. <laughs> so we listen to a lot of classical music. We listen to a lot of um, um, Paul Simon, a lot of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. We listen to a lot of guitar music. 
Um, John really likes country music, so um, we listen to some rock and roll. It's pretty. It's pretty wild. A wide scale, I would say. We like okay. lots of music. We love music. Music is life-changing. Is there something that you can share that people might be surprised to learn about you? Do you have a hobby? Do you collect something unusual? Do you speak a second language? Well, I speak bits and parts of second languages. Right now I'm studying Swedish. Oh, And Why? so something that might surprise people is that I have a Swedish godson. I am his American, and this is um, by certificate, if you please. Um, I am his American godmother. And I met his mother and father before he was born um, at a workout class um, at Hill Spa, Napa Valley. And um, had a friendship that came from someplace else with this woman. Um, it was extraordinary and um, they came to have this um, baby. They had a surrogate mother. Um, they had gotten married in their early 50s and wanted to have a child, and so they they made the baby, and then this woman carried it for them, and Tracy, and so they lived here for a month. At any rate, long story short, um, I am learning his Swedish. Hurmordu. Welcome in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm impressed <laughs> for sure. A bucket list item that you can share for us. Oh boy. Or have you done them all? Not even. No, no. <laughs> I need at least 150 more years. I do. Well, you drinking? You're drinking wine. You might have 150 more years. Well, they have to be. Um, I can't be any less impaired than I am right now. You're um, not impaired. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> silly. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm I'm being silly. But um oh gosh, there's so many things. So Just name one. Well, I would like to live abroad for uh, 6 months. I think that would be just marvelous. And where would I like yes. to live? That could be any one of a number of places. Um most obvious Italy or Portugal. Um I I I have a real affinity to those countries, and France for that matter, and so that would be really, really fun to do. There's lots. I don't, I don't want to bore you, but um, it just goes on and on Well, and you on. would never bore me, but I only asked for one. You don't have to tell me your whole list. We're in wine country. I have to ask this. What do you like to drink at home other than Lale Vineyards? Well, there's so much that I like to drink. I'll tell you that one of the basic things that you learn being in the wine business is that you'd better drink a lot of different kinds of wine. So we drink a lot of wines of our friends. You know, um, I drink Larkmead, I drink Spotswood, I drink Harlan, I drink Colgan. We drink, um, oh my gosh, it, it, it's a huge roster, Dalavale. But, you know, we drink um, a lot of Pinot Noir, um, uh, in particular from Oregon. We have uh, very, very dear friends, um, Ken and Grace um, Evanstead from Domaine Serene. And so we love, love the Pinots from, from Oregon. 
and also the Chardonnays. They're great fun. We drink wines from um, France, not surprisingly, um, from Bordeaux and um, Burgundy not so often, just because they're a little bit um, dear in price. And So you're uh, definitely a wine girl. Wine girl. You're a wine girl. I am. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. They're very lighthearted. You ready? Go. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a Mercedes. Okay. What was the last piece of candy you ate? It was a piece of Hershey bar last night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your favorite flower? My favorite flower? Oh, that's a good one. My favorite flower. Orchids, probably. What is one of your all-time favorite movies? Oh, I would say, I would say Sand of a Woman. Mm-hmm. I think that the tango scene in Sand of a Woman is... Priceless. <laughs> for, forever, yes. And this is going to be a heavier question. So not quite as lighthearted. So I fibbed. Um, how do you want to be remembered? As kind. Okay. Robin, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Michelle. It's really been fun talking with you. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.